0: So James chapter 1, verses 1 through 8, I want to be able to really focus mostly on practical application here. James chapter 1, and I'll read verses 1 through 8. And it reads, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for allowing us another opportunity to come into your presence. We thank you for allowing us to be able to hear from your word. We even pray that you would sanctify us through your word because your word is truth. We ask, Lord, that. As we are looking at this passage one last time, we ask that you would um, give us wisdom. Lord, we all have experienced so many things in this life. And um, sometimes it is so hard to see what you are trying to accomplish in our lives through the trials that we face. Lord, I pray that you would give us wisdom so we can see exactly what you're up to, exactly what you're trying to work out in our lives. So that we can allow patience to have its perfect work so that we can be perfect and complete, lacking nothing, just like your son. We thank you now for all these things in Jesus name. Amen. 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 We are finishing up this passage. And I wanted to just come back again to the last uh, three verses uh, when he talks about those who lack wisdom. You know that we have been talking about in this passage um, the Greek word parasmos, right? And um, we um, have seen that this is the controlling idea for the entire chapter. Um, in verses 1 through 11, parasmos here is translated as trials or adversity. It is referring to any external circumstance that comes to test you. And that test sometimes is sent by God. Sometimes the test is allowed by God. um, But however, uh, the test or trial comes. Right. God is trying to use the test or trial to do something in you. God is trying to perfect something in you. As we will see when we look at starting at verse 12, uh, the same word is used, prosmos. But here. Uh, It is translated temptation because the trial originates with inside of you. So if it originates inside of you, if it's based on your desires and your lust, that is not a trial or adversity. That is a temptation. That is something going on inside of you that is drawing you away towards sin. Here, James tells us. That when we face trials and when we face adversities, we can count it all joy. We can see it as a joyous occasion because we know that God is up to something. We know that our faith is being tested. And when our faith is tested, if we endure, we will develop patience. And he goes on to say that when we allow this patience to have its perfect work, the result is that we are. Perfect, complete, lacking nothing. And we saw that that what God is trying to do when we looked at these words for perfect, complete, and lacking nothing, is that God is trying to address all of the deficiencies, insecurities, the things that we have not fully developed in um, over our lives, right? Mentally, emotionally, socially, you know, physically. God is trying to work all of those things out so he can conform us to the image of his son, Now, James picks this idea up after saying lacking nothing because oftentimes we think that when we're going through something, well, we realize that when we're going through something, that we're often lacking something, right? Um, Oftentimes we think that we are lacking um, things that we really don't need, (laughs) okay? Um, We often think that... um, when life throws something our way, um, whatever, you know, that we are missing is what we need, right? Sometimes I know, especially for me, that I believe that when I'm going through something, right? I need patience. I just need peace of mind. I just need people to leave me alone. Okay. (laughs) Um, but that's not really what we oftentimes need, right? I know that uh, when I'm going through things, um, that's when I oftentimes realize that I'm lacking love, right? I don't know about you, but uh, when people get on my nerves, <laughs> that's when I realize I, I'm, I lack love, right? When I'm going through things, that's when I realize I lack hope or I lack faith or patience, but those are not the things that we really, really need. James teaches us that when we go through trials, the one thing that we need the most and the one thing that we often lack the most is wisdom. He says, if anyone lacks wisdom, right, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. The greatest thing that we need is wisdom. James tells us that God is benevolent, right? That he is looking to lavish his wisdom on us. He's looking to pour out his wisdom on us. But all we have to do is ask. So the question is, what is wisdom? Joseph Thayer defines wisdom as skill in the management of affairs. In other words, it is the ability to apply what you know to everyday life situations. Wisdom is skill in the management of affairs. In other words, it is the ability to apply what you know to everyday life experiences. Now, I repeatedly talked to us about um, spiritual disciplines, right? About fasting and prayer, meditation, all of those things, right? But uh, each day we're supposed to spend time in God's word. We're supposed to read his word, meditate on his word, study his word, memorize his word, right? But oftentimes when we take in all of this information, right? We lack the ability to apply that information in our lives, especially when we're going through something, right? So wisdom is the ability to take all of the knowledge and information that you have and apply it to your life, okay? Each day, we should be spending time reading, meditating on, studying God's word. In doing this, we gain a lot of knowledge concerning God, his will, ourselves, and how to view life and the world around us. But due to our human limitations, our sin, and our lack of experience, we often don't understand how to apply what we've learned from God's word. So we need wisdom. And this wisdom is how to apply God's word specifically in this circumstance. Okay, so as I said last week, what we often do is we take God's word. Right. And the Bible calls this a a sword. And uh, what we tend to do is we let it sit on the shelf. Right. And uh, we don't really learn it. We don't know what. God's word says about a specific circumstance, but we we grab it and we just start waving it around. I know the Bible says something about this circumstance. Right. (laughs) And and we can't figure out why we aren't being victorious. It's because we we just just swinging the sword around in the air. (laughs) But wisdom. Is knowing exactly what in God's word applies to my specific circumstance and being able to take that information and skillfully use it so that I can be better. What we need wisdom for in each trial is knowing God's specific purpose for allowing this trial to occur. Right. If I'm going through something. I need wisdom to know why did God allow this to happen in my life? What is God up to? What is he trying to do in me? And we also need wisdom on how we should respond in each circumstance so that as we know what God's will and purpose is. As we know how to respond, we can become perfect, complete, and lacking nothing. So the qu- another question for us is this. Since we lack wisdom, how can we obtain it? James simply says that all we need to do is ask. But asking God for wisdom requires humility. The reason that we do not go to God most times is because we think we got this, right? I, I can handle this, I got this under control, right? And because we believe that we are adequate To control our own lives and to take care of our own circumstances, we don't humble ourselves so that we can go to God and get what we need, which is his wisdom. James says all that we have to do is ask of God and God will give his wisdom to us abundantly. Now, there's only one condition. Look back at James chapter 1. He says, there's one condition that God places on giving us his wisdom when we ask. Verse six. He says, let him ask in faith with no doubting for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. Let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double minded man, unstable in all his ways. There's only one condition that God placed on prayer when we ask Him for things, especially wisdom. The condition is that we have to ask Him without doubting, without wavering. And when we ask God without doubting and without wavering, James says that God will give it to us. But therein lies the problem, right? A lot of times when we are praying and asking God for things, our mind and our emotions are not on the same page. And because our mind and our emotions are not on the same page, we don't make wise decisions. We say we trust God. We say we believe that God is going to do something. But our decisions betray those statements. A person who doubts, wavers, and is mentally or or emotionally all over the place will not receive anything from the Lord. God will not give wisdom or anything else to anyone who is two-souled or double-spirited. That is exactly what this word double-minded means, the Greek word dipsukas. It literally means two souls or two spirits. This person because this person is uncertain of what he or she wants. That type of person is unstable, and God will leave you in your condition until you are broken and humble enough to trust and rest in him. Now, we talked about this before. I want to help with some um, illustrations, examples for the rest of this time, but oftentimes what we do is we initially, when we're facing trials of adversity, we go off of what we know, right? We will, will say, I know I'm supposed to trust God when something comes my way, and, and so that's what I do. I'm going to stand in faith. I'm going to trust God. I'm going to believe God. And, and, and we know God is going to work it out, right? That's day one. <laughs> Two, three days go by, a week goes by, and we kind of start getting a little nervous, right? And so I- I'm standing in faith, I'm trusting God, I know God is going to do it, but then he doesn't answer my prayer quick enough, and, and then I start to waver, right? That's what the word doubt means. It means to waver, to vacillate, to go back and forth, right? And so now, I don't, God, I don't know. Are you going to fix it? Can you fix it? I don't know. Maybe God, maybe it's something wrong with me. Maybe God is not going to answer. Maybe God is not going to work it out. Right. Then someone sends us a little nice little message on Facebook. Oh, oh God, I know you're going to do it. Yes. Yes. I'm going to stand in faith. I'm going to trust God. He can do all things. There's nothing too hard for God. And then a month goes by. (sighs) Why is God taking so long? I know you can do it, God. Is there something wrong with me? (laughs) I know the Bible says all it needs is faith the size of a mustard seed. I must not even have that much faith. And back and forth, back and forth. A double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. That person should never believe that they're going to receive anything from the Lord. The Lord is never going to give you his precious promises while you are wavering back and forth because you will not be able to handle it. I see all of the time, you know, tend to be usually ladies, like, "When is God going to give me my husband?" Girl, we got so much to talk about <laughs> right You know it's we we waver back and forth, back and forth. He can do it, but remember what I've been saying here: before God does that, he has to polish us through adversity. He has to perfect the things that's in your character that's not like him before he gives you his precious promises. Now, I was having a conversation with someone, and, and you know, the, the question is, well, how, how, do, how do we practically apply these things, right? In, in just everyday normal circumstances of life, how do we apro- apply these things? I get it. God is using adversities in my life. I may not be doing anything wrong. Right. I could be, you know, like when I was songs in the in the 90s, like chilling in my crib, minding my own business. Right? right. OK. I, I, I could be minding my own business and, and God sends or allows a trial to come my way. Right. I understand he may be trying to perfect me just like Job. Job had done nothing wrong, but God saw Satan minding his own business. Hey, Satan, have you seen my, have you, have you uh, seen my servant Job, (laughs) right? Well, no, but now that you say something about it, right, (laughs) right? And so, so God sends Satan to Job to test him, not so that he can fail, right? Because remember, the idea behind these, this test, right? This word dakimas is so that you can be tested and succeed, tested and to be approved, God is trying to perfect our character, and the way he does that is through adversities. He does that, through, does those things, because when he gives us his blessings, right, that's not the best way to get us to grow, because we go on about our business playing with the blessings. Right? So, practically, how did we work this out? I want us to return to the idea that I gave us before, right? I said three reasons why we are not able to allow adversities to perfect us. Number one, the idea was, um, my statement was, we aren't able to see ourselves. Whenever adversity comes, whenever someone does something to us, we tend to, instead of looking at ourselves, and find uh, a problem or something that God is trying to work on in us, we tend to deflect and we look at the other person. And we just keep pointing fingers at other people. We aren't able to see ourselves or the part that we play in the trials that we have in our lives. Number two, not only are we not able to see ourselves, but we are not able to admit that we all have deficiencies. Now, I don't know about you, but I grew up in a household of sinners, <laughs> right? That, that may be your testimony as well, <laughs> right? <laughs> my, my parents, they, they tried to give us the world. But the truth is, they are fallen creatures as well. It is not possible for our parents or anyone to give us everything that we need mentally, emotionally, physically, socially, spiritually. No one can do that but God. So every single one of us grew up in households where our parents did their best. But they failed us in some way. And we have taken those, those deficiencies and And things, and they have become a part of our character and our personality, and we replicate those things every single day. Now, as I said last week, that's not a reason for us to hate our parents, look down on our parents. They were just giving us what they had. But God is sending tests and trials in our lives to perfect those inefficiencies or those deficiencies that we were left with living in household with sinful people. We can't see ourselves. We don't like to admit that we have deficiencies or shortcomings. And number three, we are not humble enough to allow God to protect and defend us, we would prefer to protect and defend ourselves. So when someone brings something our way, right, rather than saying, you know, let me reflect. Let me look at my character. Why did this offend me? I- everyone else heard it. Nobody else was offended. Why was I offended, <laughs> right? right. In- instead of being able to do that, we stop with, who are they talking to? They don't know me. All right. Back in the day. <laughs> right. Everybody would go back in the day. All <laughs> right. I love I love telling people, man, sometimes people say things, and I'm like, man, I wish I could get the 98 Larry. Because cause the 2018 Larry can't say it right, you know. I got to say it like Pastor Larry, you know. But the 98, it was like, you might get some words. I'm like, Lord so I just 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 strolled through my mind with the memories and like, man, I, I would have said it like this. <laughs> right. But we have to learn. To let God defend us. Okay. But let's let's stick with the idea of us not being able to see ourselves. And this is precisely where we need wisdom um, in each trial, in every adversity, Um, They are designed to perfect some part of our character. Therefore, we need wisdom to see what God is trying to accomplish in us. It's imperative that we are able to see ourselves correctly, right? And I can throw in, you know, Beyonce's song, flaws and all. See, that's, that's the part we don't like. That's why we we come to church and we put this mask on so that we can look good instead of just being good, right? Because we can't look at ourselves with our flaws. But in order for us to grow, in order for us to allow these trials and adversities to perfect us, we have to be able to look at ourselves and see our flaws and not look away not try to cover it up it's imperative that we're able to see ourselves flaws and all it is also imperative that we recognize that our personality and character is the result of our choices and our responses to the things that have happened to us throughout our lives okay now there are some things that happened to us that we had no control over some things that were horrendous that we had no control over. But those things cannot dictate who you are and where you go in life. The only thing that can dictate those things are how you respond to those things and the choices that you have made based on those things. Every single one of us, in response to the things that has happened to us in life, we have all developed mental and emotional pathways, right? Ways of relating to the world to protect ourselves. And the more we respond in those predetermined ways, right, predetermined by uh, ourselves, whether it was consciously or unconsciously, because most of the things that are a part of our uh, personality and character were chosen by us unconsciously. We were just trying to protect ourselves, right? We didn't stop to think, hmm, I wonder where this is going to take us, (laughs) take me, right? But responding over and over and over and over again in certain ways has developed into our personality, has developed into our character. We have to ask God for wisdom so that we can see these mental and emotional pathways that we have developed over days and months and years and even decades of life. Now, these choices may not have been um, chosen consciously, right? They may have been chosen unconsciously, but because they are choices, we are able to make different choices, and over time, we are able to change our personality and character. Okay. And so, we have to keep these things in mind. Let me give an illustration. I, I um used this illustrat- istru- illustration before. Um, however, uh, you know, I will use this again, right? Um, I said before that um, I grew up in a household with with people who were sinners right and um as I said my mother is a grace oriented person she is the shirt off your off her back do anything for you people please a person <laughs> right right there are times where people will come and ask her things and in and, and she's in her mind no I don't want to do that but her mouth is Sure, anything you need, <laughs> right? And and then she gets off the phone and be like, "Now, why did I tell him I would do that? I know I ain't want to do that, <laughs> right? But th- that's just who she is, right? My father, on the other hand, right, he is a law oriented person. We would joke and call him Military Larry. <laughs> he 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 thought he was still in Vietnam. All right? Our household was run like a military barracks. Like, literally, Christmas morning, we would get up to go play with, with our toys, and he down there on his knees scrubbing the floor. He was like, ah, uh, don't touch my floor. We had to sit on the step and wait till he finished <laughs> cleaning. I'm like, he don't know we to the this all back up. <laughs> right? But, but, that's who who he was, right? He 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 laid down the law. He was the enforcer. Okay, he wanted to make sure we would were always doing the right things, right? And I get this from him. He thought he was right about everything. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I remember, I tell you, I remember one time I would you know I had trouble cleaning my keeping my room clean. You know, I was too busy serving the Lord, right? And uh, he was like, "Well, the Bible says." That cleanliness is next to godliness. And I'm like, no, it doesn't. It doesn't say, that. yes, it does. It doesn't. Daddy, show me where it says that at. It's been like 22 years. I'm still waiting for him to show me this verse. <laughs> but he knows it's in there. So we we have this dynamic, right, of, of my parents. My father would, would lay down the law, and then my mother would figure out a way to try to get us out of it. She would compensate by, you know, just buying us clothes and toys that we could never even use. So, I of, I, I believe out of all of my um, um, siblings, I am a perfect blend between the two. A perfect blend <laughs> between my mother and my father. I love people. And I love helping people. I am a people pleaser at heart that hates to have to tell people no. I also think that I'm right most of the time. Okay, which, and the church says amen. Okay. (laughs) Which I usually am, though. (laughs) I lack patience and. I am very rigid when it comes to enforcing things. Okay. I often joke that I am pass I'm not passive aggressive, right? I'm passive then aggressive. Okay. Which is also true. Okay. However, this it this blend of personality makes it interesting being a pastor. Right? As I said before, you know. Um, Things were great our first five years, and um, everything was going well. Church was growing. Seems like, you know, we were having an impact locally, internationally, doing all the things that we've um, done in uh, various places around the world, and everything was great. Then that fifth year happened, and I I was about to quit. I was like, y'all can have this. Now, all of the conflict that was taking place in the church right? I'm praying and asking God, God, fix it. What's going on? Can you send me leaders that can can help me fix these things? And, And I clearly, I didn't hear audible voice, but I clearly know God told me in prayer, stop asking for new leaders and grow the ones you have. And so in reflecting on all of these things, I had to see myself. I had to realize that the conflicts and problems in the church or because of my personality, because I give too much grace, and there are some people that when you give them grace, right, they see it as a weakness. They see you as a sucker, and so they're like, ah, grace, <laughs> and they just keep right on going in the same direction, And but, but I have a problem with disciplining people, right, because I want to just keep giving grace, and I know that when i when i get mad you know it's like the incredible hulk you know so i'm like i'm like bruce banner not angry not upset so i just keep giving grace but when god was able to teach me right to deal with my personality i was able to come and change the dynamic of the church and immediately almost things changed right it's the same thing that would happen with you when things are crazy in your environment you have no ability to change what other people do but because you change everything around you has to change right it may not get better but it has to change <laughs> okay <laughs> right so What I had to do, what each one of us has to do, is be able to reflect on ourselves and admit that there are some things about our personality and character that needs to be changed. And that is what God is targeting in every single trial. Every single trial, every single adversity, every single problem that you face in life, whether you did something to cause it or not, you have to be able to pray and ask for wisdom and see that God is trying to target something about your character or personality so that he can perfect it and make it better. Now, let me give you a couple examples and then I will be do- be done let us think of I know that let me say say this I'm starting off um, I don't want to commit like um, like uh, the fallacy of you know a single cause or a single solution okay I do understand that um, that, um, things are a lot more nuanced than, you know, than can be, uh, talked about in one single message. Okay. Um, however, s- think with me on, on some of these things. I know that they'll be limited in scope. I may give you one or two ex- examples of how these things can go and, and they can go, you know, a hundred different ways. I get that. Solutions, um, can be done in a hundred different ways. Um, so what I'm trying to do here is just to get us to think about examples, to think about ourselves and see, start to, to, to analyze how we can work in our own lives to work with God, with, with our trials, adversity, God's wisdom, his grace, um, so that we can, can grow. Let's think of a man who did not grow up with his father. Okay. Um, maybe his father was around. Right. Sporadically. Maybe he wasn't wasn't there at all. Right. But um, because his father wasn't present in his life. Right. He, he grows up with some form of of deficiency. OK. And because his father wasn't there, he has to himself figure out what a man is. So he has some options. He can say that a man is someone who makes a baby and then leaves. Or he can say that a man is someone who has a family, takes care of that family, and is always present, right? Let's say that uh, this man recognizes the pain of not having his own father. So he says, when I have children, I'm going to always be there. So he gets married. He has children. He's always present. Okay. He works hard. He makes sure that he provides everything that his children need. He puts them in all types of activities so that they can can be well-rounded. But he's always working, so he's never at any of these games or activities. The kids are, dad, you know, you missed it. Can you, uh, next time, make sure you're there. And But he's not able to because he's always working. And his, his excuse is, is that, hey, I got to provide for my family, right? I got to give my family what they need. The kids continue to complain. He just brushes it off because he is a great provider. The kids talk to him about it, but he just shuts down because he just said, I'm here, <laughs> right? I didn't abandon my children. I'm here, right? The kids grow up, and they become more and more distant from their father, but the father doesn't understand why. Now, let's ask, ask ourselves some questions and, and apply what we have talked about these last two or three Sundays. Did this man ever break free from his father not being there for him? No. It appears that he did not break free from his father not being there for him. He just duplicated his father's action in a different way. He was present, but he wasn't emotionally present, right? He was there in the household, but he wasn't emotionally there for his children. He didn't abandon his children, right? But he still didn't give them everything that they needed emotionally, right? That's because he he developed a definition of fatherhood that was based on money and things, not on being emotionally there for his children. Was this man open to seeing himself? The answer is no. Because every single time his children would come and say, Dad, you aren't here. You know, you aren't at the game. You aren't doing this with us. He would, he would just shut down. He would, he would justify himself. But I'm providing for you, right? He's not able to see himself. He didn't recognize that the, the trial, right, which is the children getting on his nerves, complaining about him not being around, The trial was designed to get him to see himself, to see that the pain that he had received from his father, he was duplicating that pain just in a different way. But just like us, right, we we put on blinders and just start pointing the fingers back out. Well, y'all have too many games. Y'all involved in too much stuff. If y'all didn't want so many clothes and toys for Christmas, I wouldn't have to work this hard. The, 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 The trial is trying to get us to look at ourselves. And maybe the man should have said, you know what? Maybe my kids don't need so much stuff. Maybe I won't have to worry about paying off that credit card bill in January. (laughs) Okay. Maybe my kids don't need to be in so many activities so that I can be home with them and spend time with them and play Monopoly with them and talk to them and, and find out about their day. But the trial is meant to teach us that. My last question on this example is, what does it take for this man's children to grow up and not repeat the same cycle? Because... Oftentimes what we see is these issues flip-flop in generations. Sometimes we call it a generational curse. But sometimes you see things happening in this generation, this generation, this generation, this generation. Why? Because what we're trying to do, I'm just trying not to hurt anymore. And so since I'm trying not to hurt anymore, I just keep passing the hurt down from one generation to the next generation. What does this man's children have to do? Again, solutions are, you know, um, plentiful. But I think that what these children need to do is, number one, they have to internally address any anger they have towards their father. By recognizing that he tried his best, but couldn't give them what he did not possess. I'm hurt. I have anger towards what was done to me. I have to address that. I can't just move on. I have to address it. But addressing that has to begin with saying that this man was only able to give me what he had. He could not give me what he did not possess. So I have to let him off the hook. And I have to love him. Because he's dealing with his own pain. Not only do I have to address any anger... That I have towards um, towards him by recognizing that um, he tried his best and couldn't give me anything. But I also have to recognize the mental and emotional pathways that I have chosen to cope with the lack of emotional connection. Right now, all of us have done that. All of us have developed mental pathways, mental ways of seeing things or thinking about things based on our circumstances. All of us have developed emotional pathways, ways of emoting and feeling and relating to the world, whether we call it coping mechanisms or whatever, right? We've all developed these things to protect ourselves. And we have to recognize those mental and emotional pathways that we have developed. We have to see which ones are right and which ones are wrong, and we need to begin to make new and better choices so that the trial can cause us to become perfect, complete, and lacking nothing. I want to carry this um, example forward a little bit um, in this third example, the first example was myself, then this man. Let me carry this example forward. Now, let's say that this, one of this, this man's children is a, a little girl. She doesn't understand why her father is so emotionally distant. But just like everyone else, she has to choose mental and emotional pathways in order to deal with her pain. So she makes choices. She has some different choices to make. She can choose to only give her love to other women because women naturally know what she wants. She can choose to be alone since no one can hurt her if she doesn't open up. So she becomes mean in order to push men away before they can hurt her. Or she can choose to seek the emotional attention that she craves from her father in other men. And like many women who find themselves in this situation, many of them choose the third option. They go looking for the attention that they did not receive from their father in other men. And so they begin to do things to get attention. But soon one after another the attention from these guys begins to fade and soon she has to realize that in order to get and sustain emotional attention right she has to trade her body for that emotional attention and through the course of years she finds herself in a string of relationships where she has traded her body for emotional attention, but she's still alone. Still dealing with the pain of lack of emotional connection. Over time, she finds herself in a string of relationships where she has given away her most valuable gifts, her heart, and her body. And yet she's still alone. Now let's ask ourselves some questions and try to apply what we have learned these last couple of weeks. Because this scenario is, is true of, of most Christian women too. Question. Is she able to see herself And is she able to recognize the deficiencies in her life? The answer is no, it doesn't appear that she is. She doesn't recognize that she is trying to get what she lacked from her father from other men. She also doesn't realize that she is trying to fill an internal void through relationships. She, like many women, even Christian women, are willing to trade their bodies just for one night of not being alone. So the question is, how does she break this cycle? Again, she has to recognize that the trials of all of these breakups, right? Why does it not work out? Why do they keep leaving? I'm doing everything. I'm, you know, I'm cooking. I'm cleaning. I'm doing everything. And they still leave. Why is that? The trial of all of these breakups is to help her see that she is using relationships like a drug. She's using relationships like a drug. Side note, anyone would like a, a, a good book on this? Um, this book is it's called Addicted to Love. I believe it's um, Stephen Otto Excellent book. Right um, addresses um, all like this in a um, in a in a very good way. Right, um, she's using relationships like a drug. Right, and what she really needs to do, how does she get out of the situation? She needs to be over an extended period of time by herself, alone, just her and God. Just her and God, processing through her emotions, her feelings, her choices. Recognizing the mental and emotional pathways that has led her to this type of lifestyle. And also allowing God to tell her about her worth and her value until she becomes emotionally healthy and able to choose healthy mental and emotional pathways it cannot be done in rela- in a relationship oh well you know what i'm just i'm gonna be i'm just date you know and and you know work with god on another side it doesn't work like that <laughs> right habits will always <coughs> kick in now again i'm not trying to say that this is the one only one way again right each person's scenario and situation is is completely different right um, um a lot of times these things cannot be done on your own okay sometimes it, it uh, uh, a lot of these things involve counseling right some of these things involve accountability accountability partners discipleship right um so so, so all we have to to use All of the resources of God's word, the church, and also wisdom that God has given people in the world in order to help us get to where he wants us to be, right? Um, But all of us can grow from where we are. And that's exactly what all of our trials and, and adversities are about. God is targeting particular things in our lives so that he can kind of perfect them, polish those things, right? I said this before, that what God does in each of our lives is like using sandpaper to perfect us. The sandpaper itself is rough, but when it is used against drywall, the drywall becomes smooth. That's what God does with trials and adversity. He uses rough things to polish us and smooth us out. Last example, what about someone who grew up poor, right. Because of welfare, right, they may have had their basic necessities met, but not much more than that, right? They may have wore hand-me-down clothes, right? They may have had to shop at the thrift store, right? But they, they never had um, the latest fashion, right? They never had the best things, and so people mocked them or made fun of them because of um, the, the things that they wore, right? Um, let's say um, this person grows up, and they get a job. They're able to take care of themselves. They now have some choices, right? They can become like Scrooge and pinch every single penny, hoard every single thing for themselves, fearing that they will never have enough to really take care of themselves, Right? Um, or they can do the opposite. They can wear every single penny on their back. They could be constantly trying to, you know, shop and buy, wear the latest things, have the best clothes, drive the best car, live the best place, right, because they never had it. So now that they do have it, right, they're splurging on everything. The person has choices. Most Americans <laughs> choose the second option, right? We live paycheck to paycheck or worse, right? Cause just to get by, we need to use credit. And it seems that just after you pay your bills or when all of your bills are due, That's when something goes wrong. Your car breaks down. The water heater rusts out and floods the basement. Your wife backs out the garage and (laughs) breaks the mirror on your car for the third time. (laughs) Okay. It, it it just seems like whenever you don't have the money, that's exactly when something goes wrong. I remember this year, the week of te- um, um of April the 15th, taxes, my taxes, I owed this year, I had to pay my taxes, and um I, we took the kids somewhere in D.C., and um, we were driving back, to New York, like, well, let's stop and get something to eat. And so we stopped at Texas Roadhouse down in Bowie and um, ate dinner, Gave the girl my card and she brought it back. I'm like, why is she taking so long with my card? Didn't think anything of it. Got home. Something said, check your account. Now, check my account. And I see two purchases Texas Roadhouse, Disney World. I'm like, ooh. I said, when we buy tickets to Disney, (laughs) I'm like, got them. She got me. $900, the exact amount I needed to send Uncle Sam. The week I had, I said, Lord, I said, and I did not think, count it all joy. When you you go through various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith, right? (laughs) Oh, no, James was not the first thing that came out my mouth. I will be honest with you. Lord, I was about to ride all the way back up the buoy because I'm like, oh, I know her shift ain't over. <laughs> right. But it, it, but it does seem that way. Right. Whenever I don't have the money, that's when something goes wrong. We have the most fresh outfits. We eat out the lunch every day rather than taking our lunch. We drive our dream cars. We always go on vacation because I work hard. I deserve it. We are having fun, looking good, and living our best life now until something breaks. And something will always break down. Now, let's ask ourselves some questions so we can apply what we have learned. Do financial troubles really come out of nowhere? <laughs> do they do they really? Do they really come out of nowhere? Right? I, I mean I said last week, you know, when Janita called me, she backs out the driveway, hits the deck post, breaks the mirror for the third time. I'm like, you know what? The first two times, I was upset. I'm like, you know, yeah, Yo, you don't you can't see this big beam right here right? $900 for the third time in a year and a half. I tell you, I said, girl, you, your car going to stay on the outside. <laughs> okay. That's how you handle trials. But anyway, but I'm like, you know what? The third time I wasn't even upset. You mad? Nope. Not even mad. I'm just thinking about my sermon, what I've been preaching on. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Don't even worry. Just come on. Cause we supposed to take the kids, to six flags, just, just get in the car and go. Driving the Six Flags, and I start seeing stuff flashing on my dashboard, like what? you know, service airbag, check engine light on. I'm like, God, look God, what's going on? <laughs> right? I thought I thought we was cool. <laughs> okay. But if you drive a car, don't you know you can't drive that car forever without any maintenance costs? I mean eventually it's going to break down. I mean, water heaters, you know, they have some, you know, you get when you buy them they tell you, okay, this will last 7 years, this will last 10 years, this one lasts 12 years, right? Y- you know you bought the 7-year one. <laughs> <laughs> and it's been 9 years. <laughs> So when you go in the basement and you see all of the water on the floor, that's the devil. <laughs> I'm like, "No, actually it wasn't. It was you. You you <laughs> you you should have stopped putting money to the side cuz you knew it was going to break." Right? Do financial trials really come do, do they come out of nowhere? No. You know eventually your dishwasher is going to break, your refrigerator is going to break. All of these things gonna happen. The problem is that we don't prepare for emergencies. We spend all of our money on food and clothes and having fun, but the financial trial is coming to let you know that you have not prepared well. Can you live forever without getting sick or having medical bills? Is it possible to go through life without any emergency? The answer is no. So why do we spend every dollar we have on bills and funds instead of saving for emergencies? Why do we not instead learn to live on a budget and to live within our means so that we can enjoy some of the things of life while also preparing for the unexpected things of life? The answer is a combination of greed and lack of contentment. We are greedy and we are not content with what we have. Right. Ooh, they got the iPhone 10. You're like, does it do anything different from the iPhone six, seven, eight, or nine? No, but it's new. Ooh, it's new, all right? It's new, <laughs> all right? It's just new. Ooh, ooh, they got them Jordan 11s out. Ooh, don't they look like the seven, eight, nine? They look exactly the same. Ooh, but we fighting to get in the store. We busting through the doors, fighting people for the shoe that looks exactly the same. Ooh, because it's new. It's shiny. <laughs> I was talking to somebody who <laughs> who they actually, you know, um needs a new car, but but um because they were in an accident, but uh they were like, Ooh, that's okay. I was gonna get a new car anyway because, you know, something was wrong with my brakes. I'm like, <laughs> I'm, like <laughs> I'm like, oh, So, you don't just change your brakes. You just buy a new car. (laughs) just, Just looking for a reason because of greed and lack of contentment. And the financial trial is simply a checks and balance on our greed and lack of contentment. You can be greedy. You can lack contentment. But financial trials are checks and balance for you to let you know where you are. Financial trials come to tell you that you are allowing your greed and lack of contentment to get out of control. and they come just at the perfect time right? when you ain't got no money <laughs> 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 It's like it's like they just perfectly time it out, right? What I'm trying to drive home here is um, trials come our way for a very specific reason, right? All of us experience trials. All of our trials will be different, right? You know, your trials may range from, you know, going home and Dinner not being ready, <laughs> right, so you're starving, okay um, your trial may may be, you know, hey, you know, I gotta keep complaining about can you keep the car clean? can you can you put the trash out like trials trials can be very little. it can range all the way through persecution, you losing your life for Christ okay. but every single one of us will experience trials because. God is designing these trials to work on our character, right? Sometimes, uh, well, why does this keep happening to me? Why does it never happen to them? They are doing all kinds of stuff. I'm trying to do the right thing, but this happens to me, and it seems like God never does anything to them. I don't know. I'll be wondering the same thing sometimes. (laughs) But the truth is that, God is up to something in your life. God is trying to perfect you. And maybe the reason that the same thing keeps happening over and over and over again is because you haven't learned the lesson yet. Sixty and above is not passing for God. (laughs) Right? He's not like Baltimore City. He's not going to just pass you along just because you came to school. (laughs) Okay? You have to learn the lesson. And the trials that God sends our way, they are tailor-made to work in your life. They may hurt, but they are tailor-made to make you perfect and complete, lacking nothing. But we have to allow the trial to do what it is supposed to do. I'm gonna end with um just this idea that um of us that I gave about being in the gym, right? You all know that um I'm I am you know I I'm immune to the gym. I just, you know, I hate it. I don't like it at all. I stay away from it as much as possible. I got a membership, it's around the corner from my house, I drive past it and just <laughs> <laughs> speed up you know but just like i go i go to the gym and sometimes literally i have done this you know i go in and some of the guys you see them routinely and they're working out and i'll just stand around to talk yeah hey what's going on oh that was good work let's go All Right. i literally have done that before <laughs> um i will never ever bring down my cholesterol Or get in shape doing that, right? I'm in the gym, but it's not working for me. It's the same thing with fussing trials. You can be in the trial and it not accomplish what it is designed to do if you don't let it do its work. In conclusion, I have been trying to drive home the point that trials are not our enemy. They are painful for sure, but they are a good gift from a good father designed to make us better spiritually, socially, mentally, volitionally, emotionally, and physically. Literally, anything can be a trial from your car breaking down to persecution. God knows what each of us is in need of. In order for us to be conformed to the image of his son, the trial itself does not matter. The only thing that matters is how we respond. In every adversity, we have to make a choice. Am I going to view this trial through eyes of faith and respond properly so this trial can accomplish God's will of making me perfect, complete, and lacking nothing? Or Am I going to continue to be double-minded, unstable, and immature? The choice is ours. All of us have the choice. My prayer is that each one of us would choose wisely. Father, we thank you today for...